stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! The Dream Team heads to Le Mans, and Lucas Degrassi wins a race literally 64 years in the making. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. And we're back for part two of this doubleheader, aka episode 145 of the Motorsport 101 podcast. Dear God, we're only five away from 150. Where the hell has the time gone? Uh, <laughs> I am your host, Andre Harrison, and back with me for the second half of this doubleheader is Ryan King. Yep, spent the break teaching Dre what the color gold looks like. Oh, shut the fuck. <laughs> Sweat God. <laughs> Like, listen, it looks a bit like yellow, okay? <laughs> That's my excuse and I'm sticking to it. Okay? <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. You know what it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. <sighs> and in the end, and in the blue corner, as always, Mr. RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. Howdy, y'all. By the time you're listening to this episode, um, I will probably be already up i'll be giving uh my tune in radio app a good good old workout because it's love my week and we've got a big old preview with a special guest yes yes more about that very shortly after we get through formula re as well but uh, that'll be the the backbone of episode 145 in the second half of this double header um, as we'll be talking about Formula E, um, their penultimate race weekend in Zurich, Switzerland. Yes, you did hear that right. A, a the first sanctioned motorsport event in in Switzerland for 64 years, and everyone's favorite series runner-up at the moment, Lucas Degrassi took the win on that one more on that in just a minute and after that a whopping 45 minute long Le Mans 2018 preview it's a bumper one and it's a it, it's it's a humdinger it's 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 a, it's a beauty from what I've been told oh yes <laughs> yes we have gotten um we've gotten from from daily sports car and also from racer magazine their lead WEC contributor Stephen Kilby is joining us for our Le Mans preview you will hear that shortly uh I assure you, it's a good time. Indeed, another new guest on the Motorsport 101 library. It's, it's getting extensive at this point. We have to build a second wing at, at, at this rate. But uh, in the meantime, places you can find us real quick are on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We're on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. And if you'd like to follow our handles personally, we are at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, at RJ O'Connell. And as RJ, does, does Stephen have a Twitter? Yes, it is at Stephen, that's Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-K-2-2. Yep, yep, you can follow him on there as well after this podcast goes out. Give him a Motorsport 101 bump on our behalf, if you don't mind. Um, and if you really like us, you can back us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. $5 gets you early access to both this show and to Bike Live. As mentioned on the last part of the doubleheader, episode 63 is out right now. Reclaiming the land, Jorge Lorenzo's first win in almost 18 months. 
And then he chucks the world again by joining Repsol Honda for the Mark Marquez, Jorge Lorenzo dream team of uh, video game lore, basically, at this point. Yeah, good luck building a bike to suit both of their riding styles at the same time. That's going to be fun. <laughs> Don't tell that to Alberto Puig, who is too busy just rubbing his hands with glee that he's finally gotten rid of Danny Pedrosa. Sad face. Um, more on that in episode 63. And episode 64, because we got more City Season stuff as well. Ever since that episode went out of uh, Joanne Mir this very morning, uh, getting confirmation he's going to Suzuki on a two-year deal. As mentioned, the combined age of that team is now 42. Valentino Rossi is 38. I feel old. I feel very old right now. And Andre Ianoni going off to the Aprilia factory team as well, which means we've almost got our 2019 grid in place already. Should be fun indeed. All the city season stuff and a bumper action of weekend of World Superbikes in Bruno, including Alex Lowe's first ever World Superbike victory for the Yamaha team, who all of a sudden have won three out of the last four. Very peculiar actions going on there at the Crescent team there for the Patayamaha team, as well as Jonathan Ray making history, becoming World Superbike's all-time wins leader with his 60th World Superbike victory, overtaking Carl Fogarty's all-time record. And, well, by the way, did you guys hear the news today that he signed the new two-year extension? Um, the reign of terror continues at Kawasaki. May the good lord help us all. Um, <laughs> how many world titles... He's done everything. He could have easily probably jumped to MotoGP if he wanted to, to seek a new challenge. But he's just like, nah, I think I'm going to put these records out of reach. Yeah, I'm just going to put them so far into the stratosphere that no one's going to touch me over the next two and a half years. That sounds like fun. All that on episode 64 of Bike Live later this week, already been titled The Green Mist. Get you to jeery jokes in now. Um, $10 as well gets you early access to my Discord server where you can listen to these shows live as they go out, just as Henry, Brian, uh, Zoe, who's still stealing rent, and Charles, who's really stealing rent, is listening in as we speak. Um, so that's always a fun time for all involved. $10 gets you in at that level. Again, big shout-out to James Calantis for, for uh, becoming a Patreon backer. Um, all that stuff is great indeed. Thanks again for all your continued support. Much appreciated. After this quick musical break, we'll get into the Formula E E-Pre in Zurich. Ah, when it comes to motorsport history, a, a single tear flowed from Ryan King's face as Switzerland had its first sanctioned motorsport event in 64 years. They didn't mention that at all during the broadcast, honest. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, King, what did you make of the Zurich circuit in general? Because I thought it was quite a fun one. Yeah, definitely in terms of Formula E circuits, it was on the better side. There was actually, you know... Passing zones after long straights. It was mm-hmm. it was nice. <laughs> I liked it. If the the place was packed, 
um, Hazel Southwood, our friend, uh, tells us Hazel Southwell, I should say, Oof. friend of the show. Hazel Southwell said that uh, you know it was a it was a packed crowd, a lot of interest both at home and abroad, which is what I what I felt like it should have because again, this is the first time they have raced since 1954, um, after years of a post. 1955 Le Mans disaster enforced ban on motorsport, which then became a ban on motorsport because it's not environmentally sensible. Well, Zurich, uh, Formula E is the only place that can race, it's only series that can race in Switzerland nowadays, mm-hmm. and uh, it's, a, it's a big race, it should have felt like a big deal, I was worried like it wasn't, and out of all this, we got a pretty entertaining show out of the whole thing. Yep. Yep, definitely, and again, like, and RJ's made this point before, it, it felt like it should have been a bigger deal than it was, I don't think it was in terms of the internet, but I'm glad that it, it, it got such big local press, I saw, um, thanks to a friend of the show, Katie Fairman on Instagram, she she was showing off that it made front page news um, in, in the back page of the sports section um, in Zurich, which is really cool to see, um, so I'm glad that was a, a keen amount of local buzz for the event, I'm glad, I'm glad the attendance was high, you know, that's always good signs indeed. As for the race itself, um, whew, uh, this was a fun one. I mean, right the way back from qualifying, we got some interesting results. Mitch Evans, his first uh, Formula E pole position. For- Mitch Brown! <laughs> and, and, of course, the first pole in general for Jaguar Racing, which was which was nice to see. Uh, Mitch coming through the Super Pole uh, session. Uh, fun times indeed. Ahead of Andre Lotter for T-Cheetah, Bird, D'Ambrosio and Lopez, the top five to make it through into the Super Bowl shootout. But a couple of early disasters, including John Eric Verne down in 17th place um, after after a horrific qualifying. So I think he described his lap as a nightmare to Nicky Shields after, after the session had finished. And uh, yeah, not only him, Oliver Turvey as well had to start from the back of the Grizzle, which, is, which given how well he's driven in the second half of the season, uh, big surprise to see those two uh, top-tier races in the series uh, having disastrous qualifying sessions by their standards. Um, but it did make for some interesting action in the race itself. Um, this was a pretty fun race, I have to say. I thought it was fun. Um, it turned into a bit of a shit show in the second half, but hey, it's Formula E. Oh, buddy, <laughs> it did. Like, we were kind of worried that maybe nothing was going to happen in the first part of this race, and then the second half got popping, and oh boy. It was a spicy meatball indeed, but let's let's get, let's get cut to the chase here. After four consecutive second places in, in the series, our Robo Race friend and yours, the, the Rick and Morty superfan that is, Lucas Degrassi, finally wins one this Elon's season. Elon's best buddy. Best. <laughs> I'm surprised he did not get his best buddy Elon Musk up there and have had a few flamethrower rounds up. Oh my god! What a what a, what a horrific waste of money. Um, anyway, yeah, Lucas Degrassi takes the win. So I think he, he had to he had to claw his way through the field, but he was picking them off like flies in the first half of that race. Um, just dominant drive from Lucas. I mean, King, the way it's going, like. Audi looks practically unstoppable at the moment. It's it's kind of crazy. I mean, we've already seen Daniel Apt win twice this season. Um, uh, and, and they're thirty three points out of the lead for the team's championship. And the way the season started through the first four rounds, um, if you had said that after Santiago, you probably would have been laughed at. Right? Yeah, it would take. I I think the team's championship for them is. A, little bit out of reach. It yeah. would require it would require 
a tremendous performance in New York and like a couple of other teams to stumble. Lots are in the wall or something like that. You know, you, you never know in New York um, in, in, for, for the season finale. But yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think it's. I think 33 is a little bit too much of an ask. But hey, the fact they're even in this position is kind of crazy, given how and um, their season was an unmitigated dumpster fire to start off with, with disqualifications left and right, and just you know Lucas having horrendous reliability. I mean, it, it finally turned out because he didn't qualify on pole position that Lucas will not be retained in his championship, even though we all kind of knew from like two rounds in. But mathematically, it is now impossible for Lucas to retain his title. So we are getting a new champion yeah. in Formula E this season, which it's crazy. We're going to have like four different champs in the first four seasons of Formula E, which is crazy in its own right. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's it's, it's that's the thing. So Lucas as Lucas has fallen on his sword with a glorious victory, and yeah, he ended up winning it, winning it by seven and a half seconds, and he just took off in the second half of the race. Cleared Mitch Evans early. On. Evans had to set had to save power, and Lucas just swept past him. It was a. Uh, it was it was crazy, um, but uh, Lucas just completely dominated the first half of the race. Um, the second half, well, this is when the shit show started. It started off with John Eric Verne in the pits, and Verne, who was starting seventeenth, but I think he, I think he had gotten his way up to like ninth, and then he comes into the pits and disaster. His second car fails to start. Um, oh dear, he lost. I think it was twelve seconds in the pit lane compared to the leading group. Which put him all the way back out of the points again. Vern had to try and cl- had to basically work to get back into the points yet again. Um, however, there was an incident in which 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 started off a rapid chain of events. Felix Rosenquist was um, in a visual metaphor for the second half of his season was basically sent off the slip road to oblivion um, in an accident. Turns out um, he wrecked himself in that one again. Um, there was an enormous chunk of front wing on the track that, for some reason, we didn't get an immediate full-course yellow. Um, well done on that one, stewards, by the way. Um, way to leave the front wing out there um, with no one able to collect it until it was actually hit. I think it was by Sam Bird, I think, two laps later. Um, I, I want to say it was John Eric Verne that hit it. Was it Verne? I think quite right, quite right. I think... it, was, it was one of the two. Yeah. It was one of the two. Somebody hit it, and that's when they realized, oh, yeah, maybe we should put out a full course yell for this. Yeah, like, that might be a good idea. And everybody dives down in the pit lane. Everybody dives into the because this, this was right on the pit window. Uh, it's, it's worth pointing out on this point, right around half distance. Um, for the pit window, everybody dived into the pits, and after it was all said and done, and the full course yellow was reprieved, about five minutes later, we get the note from Formula E: six drivers are under investigation for speeding under full course yellow, and I'm like, oh shit, here yeah. we go. Um, and then that, just to add even more onto his terrible situation, during the pit stop cycle, when John Eric Byrne got into his car, uh. He didn't have drive immediately. Yeah, yeah, it didn't start. It didn't start. We did cover that, mm-hmm. and then things were about to get worse when he realized that uh, when he thought he was going to get away with speeding under the uh, under the virtual safety car, 
only to get called in for it a lap later. Yeah, like it was it was originally an announcement from Formula E that they they'd given drive through penalties to Sebastian Buemi, Andre Lotterer, uh Pachito, uh, Lopez and Mitch Evans. Um, and they were all getting drive through penalties for speeding under full course yellow. And then just when you thought Vern got away with it, which was dodgy as all hell, one lap later, John Eric Vern gets the same drive through penalty. Um, which, you know, I, I, I'm surprised Vern didn't just come out of the car and immediately murder somebody after just <laughs> the, the absolute unmitigated near disaster of a weekend. Because to add even more insult on top of injury, I'm pretty sure Andre Lotter got fastest lap, didn't he? <laughs> Yeah, he did. Yeah, he's di- yeah, he it's did. A- uh, Andre Lotterer picking up fastest lap of the race for the first time this so season. So Lotterer basically took two points off his own teammate. That was clever. Um, <laughs> the Jandre bromance yeah. is in is in Paris. It's in tatters. It is in tatters going into New York. So, like, despite all of that craziness, Vern was actually able to limp to a point in tenth place. Um, so again, not a complete disaster, but with Sam Bird basically being the big winner of all those penalties from the, from the leading group, Sam Bird would end up finishing in a very lonely second place, which has now taken an enormous chunk out of Vern's championship lead. It was looking like it was Vern's in the bag, but uh, now going into the final round, which we'll get to in a, properly in a minute. Um, the lead for Vern has been slashed from 40 points to 23 going into the final doubleheader in New York um, at the end of the season. Now, with 58 points on us, it's, it's hardly in the bag for Vern just yet. Like, if it was going to be 40 points, you're, you're probably thinking Vern has one hand on the title. Now it's a little bit precarious for Vern here. Like, are we getting the annual Formula E Championship leader choke, King? Is is is, is this oh it? Oh my god, is this gonna, is well, this is, gonna be an annual if, thing now? Is it happening again? I don't know because the form book dictates that um, the form book dictates that Sam Bird has as good a chance as Andy to claw this back because he swept the New York weekend. Yes, last year. Mm-hmm. Yep, like like I, I like that Henry. Like, sorry, it was actually Charles in the Discord that just goes. And I quote, Bird needs to shout at everyone in the pit lane after race one. G- good idea. Yeah, apparently. Just just, just, just bring Robin Friends with you to the weekend and just shout at him for a bit. That, that'll work. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, an absolutely carnage-filled race, especially in the second half. Again, Bird really being the big winner um, on that one for the, in terms of the context of the championship. But it was also a nice to see Jerome D'Ambrosio for the... That's, shall we say, Jerome! For the, shall we say, difficult season that Dragon Racing has had. Nice to see Jerome D'Ambrosio back on the podium, even in, in what could be, by all rumours, his penultimate Formula E weekend. Apparently, he's not going to be. It's heavily rumoured he's not sticking around for season five in the new car, so we'll have to wait and see how that. It's a shame mm. because that, that podium basically takes them off the bottom of the team's championship table that not at or now belongs to MSA and D. Uh, Andretti Autosport. Sorry, Zoe. Not not sorry, Zoe. Um, and, now, 
Trust me, Antonio Felix Tacosta deserves a lot better. He really does. Um, it's, it's, I sigh at this. Um, but yeah, geez, nice to see Jerome back on the podium where he belongs. Because I know when the car is working, Jerome is an excellent Formula E driver by all accounts. And yeah, just it's been a bit of a shame that Dragon has been so, you know, up and down, so to speak, um, on that front. Um, quick, res- quick rundown of the results because Degrassi winning by seven and a half seconds in the end over Sam Bird. Um, Jerome D'Ambrosio in third. Andre Lotterer post penalty he was he was the he was the run he was the winner in the uh, speeding in the pit lane sweepstakes, basically in fourth place. Ed of Bremi in fifth. Uh, Nick Heinfeld in sixth for Mahindra Racing. Mitch Evans just didn't have the car underneath him during the race itself, despite the, the Super Bowl in seventh. Uh, nice to see the Costa in the points in eighth for the MS Ad Andretti team. Um, ninth, Oliver Turvey from 20th on the grid to ninth. Brilliant drive from Oliver Turvey, I have to say, there in ninth, ahead of John Eric Verne, who rounds off the points in 10th, ahead of Mara Engel. Uh, Pachito, Cesare uh, Lopez in 12th, Apt in 13th, who never really got going after losing his front wing on the opening lap. Sarazan 14th, Rosenquest in 15th, ahead of Alex Lynn in 16th, and four DNFs. Uh, Nicolas Prost, who just had a, some sort of just complete brake failure, was very bizarre. Luca Filippi, Nelson Piquet, and Andara Mortara did not make the flag. As mentioned in the Drivers' Championship, John Eric Verne of 163 points. He has a 23-point lead going into the final two races at New York later in June. Sam Bird in second of 140. Um... And yeah, those are the only two guys who were eligible to win the championship. So yeah, and we're gonna have a uh, we're gonna have another spicy battle for third. Degrassi at one hundred one, Buemi at ninety two, Rosenquist at eighty six, but fading apt at eighty five. That, that, so that final step on the championship podium that's uh that's not gonna be bad. Heck, I don't even think second place is out of reach for someone like Degrassi. If, if, if he wins both races, which the form he's in right now is not inconceivable. Um. He's not finished off the top off the top two since round five. So uh, the way he's driving at the moment is going to be a very hard man to beat in New York. But as mentioned, Sam Bird swept up here this time last year. So definitely want to keep an eye on. Team standings real quick. Tichita still have the lead in the team standings. For, as mentioned, 33 points over the Audi team that are trying to rein them in at a rate of knots. DS Virgin Racing in third on 157, ahead of Mahindra on 116, Jaguar on 105, uh, Renault Edams, who, who would have fought this after last season, in sixth on 99 points now, Venturi on 56, they can't wait for Felipe Massa to get over there already, uh, the Nio team on 47, Dragon Racing, as mentioned, off the bottom now with 41, and uh, Messan Andretti in, in, at the bottom with 24. Uh, again, as mentioned, the final round of the championship, New York. King, you're not making it out this one this year? Yeah, I'll be there. Yay! <laughs> Roman reports to Ryan King. Uh, it will be, will, be, will be among us. May the good Lord help us all. Uh, Please tell us all about the championship meltdowns that are going to happen, or may happen. Maybe they won't happen. Yeah, maybe, hopefully, hopefully no one will attempt to push someone 
in front of a fire truck. No, hope, hopefully John Eric Verne will not rip Andre Lotterer's head off like a Mortal Kombat fatality. Um, here's his hoping. Um, before we move on real quick as well, Formula E did also reveal their Season 5 calendar for next season. Even though, like, they say 2018-19 only really because there's one race. <laughs> like, in, like, late December um, on the 18-19 calendar for Season 5. So after this, after the uh, New York, we're not going to get another race again until December. Sad face. Um, so here's a quick rundown of the. T- it's, it's for the it's for the best. Yeah, probably for the best on that one. But hey, here's a quick rundown of the 2018-19 calendar for you. Season starts up on December fifteenth, twenty eighteen, in that totally non-controversial and highly approved round in Saudi Arabia in Riyadh. Yeah, everyone's looking forward to that one, right? Don't don't all rate the greatest. It's the greatest deep. <laughs> Like, don't all voice your approval at once, people. Like, you know, take your time. Um, tw- January 12th, after that one, and uh, four weeks later, um, the series returns to Marrakesh in Morocco, which is a, always a fun race. Looking forward to that. Um, and then the Dale Coin backup driver, TBA, has decided to invest in a Formula E race on January 26th, two weeks later. How about that? <laughs> yeah. Fam- yeah. So generous. <sighs> Yeah, um, that just leaves uh, speculation as to what that TBA event will actually be. Will it be Buenos Aires? Will it be Punta del Este? Will it be Santiago, Chile? Will it even be Sydney, Australia is one name I've heard thrown around. Or will it be in Dale Coyne's backyard? Oh, goodness. I, I don't know if you want to have a Formula E race in suburban Chicago land, Illinois. Why not? <laughs> don't know. Just don't think it gels with the vibe of the series right right <laughs> i hear you on that one after that uh, three weeks later the series goes back to mexico city on february 16th after that march 10th uh, after that in hong kong um after that two weeks later march 23rd a to be announced race in brackets they, they say it's going to be in china we're just not quite sure where yeah, yet it's actually going to be at the uh it's projected according to wikipedia to be at the old beijing olympic green circuit Ooh. which was the host of the very first formula e race oh we're going back to the box <laughs> the box the box maybe it'll look good but it'll look a bit different yeah probably probably um after that a month like three weeks later the series goes back to rome for the european part of the calendar april april 13th two weeks later we're back to paris boo um april 27th get a better fucking track layout for paris already um <laughs> may 11th the series goes back to monaco and i think they're using the full grand prix layout this time aren't they yes they are yeah. And finally, we're going to get some good racing on this layout and contemporary single-seater cars that are not Formula 2s. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, May 11th at Monaco. Two weeks later, the series returns to Berlin on May 25th. After that, two weeks later, the series hopefully is returning to Zurich. Again, it needs some final approval and you know to dot some I's and cross some T's, but they're, they're, they're banking on Zurich being back for another round when I, I don't see any reason and why they wouldn't be on June 9th and then a month after that on July 13th and 14th the series finale returns to New York for another double header um, so that is your Formula E 2018-19 calendar looking forward to seeing where Dale Coyne spreads his money uh, for that January 26th round but uh, ooh, an Australian race sounds all sorts of fun um, you know but uh, yeah hopefully 
enjoyment comes around. It's just a shame it's going to be such a massive gap between races after that, after season four finishes. But hey, new cars and all that fun stuff. So. Ah, oh, and speaking of new cars. Ooh. Like, is, is anyone getting some USA 1992 vibes up in here? Um, yes. Because, uh... uh... Yeah, considering how Formula E will have a new car next year that can go the entire race distance, there will no longer be pit stops, requiring pretty much an entire rethinking on how a Formula E race is formatted. Uh, First off, Formula E have decided that they're going to go with a standardized distance now. Well, well, I'll say standardized race distance. It's not a distance. Sort of, Uh, yeah. The race will go 45 minutes plus one lap. So they'll now be timed races. Ooh, fun, the clock. They're, they're always more dramatic. Um, so, yeah, 45 minutes plus one. That's always fun. And uh, the introduction of what they are calling uh, Hyper Boost at the moment. Uh, they, they, have not, they have not settled on a name yet. It'll probably be Hyper Boost, but... I have a feeling they're not going to go with Hyper Boost for a reason I'll get to really briefly. Um, So next year, the standard power level will be 200 kilowatts, which is, I believe, the qualifying level of power now. Yep, 200. So next year, the Hyper Boost will be 225 kilowatts for pretty much... Hyper boost will be there will be a designated area on the circuit that you have to drive through, and you'll have access to this hyper boost. Uh, but hyper boost is not the highest power mode. They'll Ooh. continuing on. There will be a 250 kilowatt level for fan boost, which will continue on into season five. Oh, for God's oh, sake! No, I thought they were gonna scrap that. <laughs> nope. It's back, and they've made it even uglier. For God's sake. Why is this still a thing? I like the... I heard something that they were going to give out. They were just scrapping Fastest Lap and do it, replacing it with, like, an efficiency bonus. Yes. yes. So, the car that finishes in the top five with the least amount of power will receive points. So, yeah, that's pretty much Basically. it. Like, that's pretty much simple as. So... Uh, maybe you'll see people realize when they have a solid place in the top five, not try to, like, finish with, you know, basically zero percent, like, one percent left on the battery. They'll try to, you know, finish with three or four or five percent because they know they've got the extra points for it. Yep. So, yeah, we're getting the efficiency bonus instead of the fastest lap, so no more season two time trials. Good to know. Um, if- and we'll no longer have, you know... Situations where people are like, I'm just go for fastest lap. Lots of um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, any any other interesting format changes, King? Um, no, I don't think so. Now, this net segment, of course, is our Lamar 24 hour mm-hmm. preview. We got my good friend Stephen Kilby, who I work with at Daily Sports Car. He's my de- deputy editor. I wanted to have him on the show last year around this time, preview the show. Didn't quite work out like that because uh, because of planning and issues, but we got him here this time, and uh, this is this is going to be a uh, this is going to be a fun segment uh, where we get to cover the race in depth. Um, I 
I went into this thinking we'll get we'll get a good twenty to thirty minutes, and it was kind of like that Greg Haynes interview of Bike Five. <laughs> we ended up going a solid forty five. Yes, yes, we did. It was just it, that it, it good. got out of hand, and we also made a very <laughs> yes, and we also made a pretty strong analogy between uh, the overwhelming overall favorites to win Toyota and the nineteen ninety two U S men's basketball team, the dream team. <laughs> I, I love that it's mentioned on, on on Twitter. I can't remember. I think it was Kevin Walsh, friend of the show, that brought this up. Massive bike life fan. Like who's Isaiah Thomas? And then we would just go Andy, like Anthony Davidson. It's like oh no, too true, too true, disgustingly true, too real. Yeah, sadly, I yeah, right. sadly I wasn't here for this one due to due to con- due to scheduling conflicts and basically I had work, um, which wasn't fun. But um, apparently this is really really good stuff. So this, this is going to be under the rare times I'm actually going to listen to an episode once it actually gets produced properly because normally because I'm on it all the time I don't need to listen back to these but uh, I'm actually looking forward to hearing this myself um, I'm not the biggest WEC fan in the world so I can't wait to hear this preview um, so yeah sit back you know if it is guys that don't like my voice very much you get 45 minutes without me on the show so uh, you know you're, you're welcome everybody um, so enjoy we miss you. Uh, enjoy RJ Ryan King and Stefan for the next 45 minutes and uh, we'll catch you back here in a bit yes hello and this is the part of the show where we're going to be talking about this weekend's Grand Prix of Endurance the 24 hours of Lamar it's happening this Saturday and Sunday recorded ahead of time because we got a special guest on the show from Racer Magazine and from DailySportsCar.com, my deputy editor, and perhaps the biggest Tennessee Volunteers football fan that side of the Atlantic, Stephen Kilby. Welcome aboard. Hi there. Oh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yes. Um, Stephen has been doing some great work covering the FIA World Endurance Championship and and also Lamont testing from, from Circuit of Lasarth. Um, just uh, just a weekend ago, Stephen, um, what what happened at testing? Oh, so much. It's 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 almost hard after you know there was points during the week um, where we weren't really sure what we were going to see in all the classes. I think and and throughout the sort of morning session, things were relatively subdued. But I think by the end of the afternoon's running, there were so many storylines that it's hard to generally pick one or two that. Um, are particularly important, but I think you know each each class definitely has its own interest. Um, do you want do you want me to run through the classes and sort of give you an overview? Is that is that the uh, is that the idea? Yeah, that would be a good place to start. Of course, our four classes at Lama they they haven't changed. Um, it's LMP one at the top, LMP two somewhere in the middle. GTE has two different subcategories, the pro for the all-pro teams and the amateurs for the hobbyist teams with your old cars. Um, And out of those four categories, it seems like every year it's the GT classes that are the most fun. Would you would you agree? Yeah, I mean, uh, the GT um, side of things has been building in GT racing over the last three or four years. We've obviously got GT3 and GTE having their own um own championships to compete in there's a lot of crossover between drivers but i think we've got to the point now where the t- factories are taking it so seriously in pro and in am there are so many really really top dollar teams now with really really good pros in some of those cars and even the ams now are just getting to the point where they're not far off that you know there's hard to hard to look up and down the field uh, and genuinely see a team that you think 
oh, they'll spend the weekend in the garage, so I don't need to worry about them. But we're past that in endurance racing now, aren't we? You know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, might only have 30 cars finishing. That sort of that sort of level, and a lot of teams having a lot of problems. It just doesn't happen anymore, and that says a lot about driving driving standards and you know the reliability of these cars. And it just creates fantastic racing. So yeah, it's a GT Pro GTM for for the fans track side. I think is is, is probably where the best racing this year is going to be. Oh goodness, well, oh goodness. Um, yes, uh, King. We, uh, we Stephen made the point earlier, King. Um, we have. There was once a point where you would be lucky to have 30 cars finishing this race. This year we have 30 cars just in the GT class alone. 20 of them are in GTE Pro. Yeah, it's, King, it's this insane. is lit. Yeah, it it's insane. Like to, especially to have this many factory programs involved. I it, it's it's hard for me to. Uh, it's hard to, for me to be more excited for the the you know LMP1 category than it is for me to be excited for GTE Pro. To me, it my gut feeling is that GTE Pro feels like the headlining class. Would that be a fair assessment, Stephen? When you have Porsche and Ferrari and Chevrolet and Ford, and now. A new Aston Martin Vantage and an all-new Challenger. Well, a new a Challenger that's coming back after a couple years away, but a new Challenger nonetheless with a new car in BMW. That's six full-fledged factory programs comprising 20 cars with all pro driver lineups. Um, it it kind of looks like it's hard to pick a winner out of this field, Stephen. Does it seem that way to you? Oh, oh 100%. I mean, it's... Uh, whether this will be to answer your question about whether this will be the sort of the main race, the sort of headline class, I, I think it probably could be this year. I mean, we, we saw at the end of last year's WC season um, when P1 and P2, you know, were a little bit more settled down and, and we had a clear form book. But GT Pro was getting all the airtime, and obviously the manufacturers love that, and the fans do too because the race is so great. But in terms of picking a winner, I mean, Every year, it almost seems to get tougher. I mean, obviously, the the big sticking point here has to be BOP, and it's and it's almost really, really dull to have to talk about it. But that is ultimately what's going to go a long way in deciding who has the upper hand. Um, so it, we're going to get uh, probably another BOP change before race week, and we may even, like a couple of years ago, get another one after qualifying before the race starts. So in terms of actually picking a brand. That, that has the advantage uh, into the race, it's really difficult. Um, the way it looks at the minute is you've got Ford and Porsche, which seem to be sort of not, not head and shoulders above the rest. Um, that was certainly not as much as they were at Spa and at the Prologue. Um, but on, on pace, they look to have a bit of a bit of an edge here. And can I just say as well, in terms of uh, just, just aesthetically with Porsche, bringing back some of their retro liveries, Going throwback week for uh, for Lamar with the with the uh, with the pig livery for the ninety two and the what I call the Rothmanesque livery for the ninety one. Oh, that's perfect. Uh, I think the ninety one car just in that refield alone. Yeah, they should win that class by ten laps. But we know it's not going to happen like that. <laughs> oh no, 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 we don't. I mean, the, well, what we've seen from Porsche there with those liveries is just uh, it's. it's it's just brilliant. It's just brilliant to see it because we've, we come back year after year with Porsche's factory efforts and they are mightily impressive. And the manpower they have behind those efforts are 
you, know, you have to see them to believe them. But what we haven't seen from them is a sort of level of down-to-earthness that maybe we have with some of the other factories, not all of them necessarily, but um, it's really good on their 70th anniversary that they're sort of getting stuck into that celebration and actually you know, throwing back to the past because they've got such a rich history. And what we haven't seen recently is is Porsche cars looking stunning necessarily with their with their liveries. And so, so to sort of come back and do some retro liveries for this year is going to go down a storm. People are going to be flocking to see those cars. They really are. Oh, goodness, yes. Uh, two new cars in the mix, as mentioned, the BMW M8. Yes, and Martin Vantage, it looked like in testing that the BMW was a little bit quicker out of the box. The Aston Martin's not so much. What is the expectations for those cars as well as the Evo package Ferrari 488? Um, well, on BMW's side, I think so far, uh, they've been nothing short of, of impressive in what they've been able to do. Because let's not forget, M-Tech aren't aren't a team that's been there, done that, and got the T-shirt before at this level. And a lot of their drivers haven't either. Um, so to bring a new car in, they've done a ton of testing. I mean, we know from down the years you know, that testing doesn't necessarily translate into what happens during the race. But they look incredibly prepared. And they turned up at the test day, and they got 1,200 kilometers of mileage done between the two cars, which is a really, really solid run. They didn't have any sort of major issues at a quiet run. That's exactly what you want going into Le Mans. So I think for them, you know, they've got some fantastic drivers in their cars. Um, they just haven't necessarily got the experience levels you'd need. Um, I think it would be a, maybe a bit early to expect them to come out and sort of dominate the field um, well, or even just, you know, go out and win it. We saw it with Ford a couple of years back. Um, so it's not out of the realms of possibility, but at the moment the, the field is just so, so stacked with quality that um, I think, you know, a good result for them, sort of, if they could break into the top five, top three, if the BOP's in their favour. Um, and then you've got Aston Martin, obviously, with their new Vantage. And, uh, well, unfortunately, it looks like they're having a thoroughly miserable time um, so far. I mean, the testing in the off-season from everyone that I've spoken to at Aston has been nothing short of, of positive. I mean, they've done a lot of endurance tests. It's the biggest test programme that Aston Martin's ever done before a season. Um, and everyone was so, you know, um, thrilled that the performance levels were there in the off season, um, and that they were, you know, they were using the benchmark of the old car at tests, and they seemed to think that, you know, they had the performance and the reliability out of the box, so they were confident. But they turned up at the prologue, and they've turned up at Spa, and they've turned up at the test day now, and they haven't shown even they're not even close uh, in performance, and the reliability hasn't been there necessarily either. They've had. They've had their fair share of niggles too. Um, and then at the test day, it just got even worse. I mean, their their best car, which is the 90, 90, uh, 97, in terms of lap time, was almost five seconds off, which doesn't sound necessarily a huge amount. But in GTE terms, that's you're screwed. Um, oh, yeah. And that's, uh, and that's two seconds off of where the 95 car, that's the that's the Denmark-Turner overdrive of sorts and team and Turner. About mm. uh, two and two and 2.2 seconds off uh, the best test eight time. So, yeah, this is kind of going to be a race where unless Aston Martin gets a BOP change in their favor or everybody else breaks down, it may be struggle street for them. Yeah, I mean, it it looks from certainly from where we stand now, this it looks like it's going to be a very long wait for them, um, especially as they've, they're at the moment rebuilding a brand new 95 because there was such an enormous shunt 
that Marcus Sorensen had on the run down to Indianapolis that they've written off a chassis, which means they're already kind of on the back foot. That car didn't do enough miles anyway. So that team, you know, Sorensen team and Turner haven't had enough running compared to everyone else at Le Mans already. Um, so it's going to be a tough ask. But again, what we have to remember with GTE um, is it can change. It can change very quickly um, with, with BOP because ultimately, you know, what teams are striving for and what manufacturers are striving for in, in terms of coming in with new cars is more about drivability um, necessarily than just outright performance because you're going to get pegged back no, more, no matter what you do. Um, so if there is a massive BOP swing next week, they could well be in the fight. We don't know. Oh, my goodness. Um, Perry Chapman, who is one of our patron backers of listening in as we're recording this, has a uh, has a good pick for the for the GT Pro race. It's the 52A of Corsa car, Tony Vlander, Antonio Giovinazzi, who, who a lot of his fields should already be in Formula One, and Luis Felipe, but you may call him Pipo to Ronnie. Mm. Oh, goodness. Um, fair pick to say, or there, is A of Corsa just too deep? Too deep to pick a winner out of that trio. Genuinely, like it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if if we saw um, the fifty two take the win here. Um, out of the three cars, I mean, you have to say that experience level. Although you've got Tony Villander, who's basically uh, just a, a Le Mans stalwart. Um, Giovinazzi and Durani don't have as much running in the GTE car at Le Mans, but they're both extremely quick. Um, so, I mean, if they're in the top three, top five, and in with a shot towards the end of the race, and they put Vlander in, or they put Giovinazzi, or they put in Durani, you know, everyone's got to look out because they're not going to be pushovers, are they? Yeah, and I looked at the 51 car. They got Daniel Serra, who was one of the heroes from that race at Aston Martin last year. Now he's in a Ferrari. Mmm, that that could be very good, especially with Pierre Greedy and Colado on the same time. Up. Uh, we almost overlooked it with this, with the 90, with the Porsche team. This is Jimmy Bruni's first time back at Lamar after missing last year with his, uh, with his uh, contract situation with Ferrari, but now he's back um, and looking just as strong as ever. Um, King, could you pick a winner out this field? Oh God, it is so close. Like pretty much me picking a winner is going with my personal favorite where I, if I had to, pick a car to win i probably want to pick the 63 corvette that would be the magnuson garcia rockenfeller car the other one the 64 being gavin milner and fussler they were solidly mid-table and you can never count out corvette racing at a track where they pretty much were the class of their class for over a decade going on two Buddy, and we haven't even we barely even touched the surface with GTM, which doesn't always have the uh, the highest the top of the line drivers in that case. But there are still some very top quality teams. You've got Christina Nielsen from IMSA. You've got the JMW Motorsport team now partnering with WeatherTech Racing. Um, there's a there's a lot of good drivers and good teams up and down this field, Stephen. Um, for what would you be looking to see out of this field? Remember, this is not the newest cars, and these are not the teams with the biggest budgets, but this all comes down, to, but it is still a very competitive category. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, there's there's 13 cars this year, um, you know, and it's 
it's always interesting watching pro-am racing especially in gt because the cars are a bit harder than gt3 cars to drive mm-hmm. because you it's basically an arms race of if you're an am can you get the best pros possible to give you that leg up and effectively mold your skills yeah. so we've got so many um ex- pro, uh, sort of am drivers that are so quick now that you you know blink and you think oh they're they're good enough to be a pro here. So, I mean, what am I expecting from man? I'm expecting it to be a pretty open race. I mean, it looked at the prologue uh, preseason at Paul Ricard that the Porsche guys were just going to cream everybody because it, it is the new kid on the block in terms of, uh, in terms of machinery. Um, and there are some quality teams in there. But then when it came to Spa and the chips were down in the race, the trusty old Aston Martin v- um, Vantage, which is, is a very, very old car now, proved, proved to be the class of the field. So... There's, there's plenty of really, really good teams in there. And, and who you should be looking out for if you're not necessarily well-versed in, in what the AM, uh, AM class is all about because you don't necessarily follow the WC day-to-day are teams like Aston Martin Racing. Uh, I mean, Pedro Alami, Matthias Lauda and Paul Dallalana are kind of, they're almost the Toyota of the AM field now where they are so good, all three of them, and the team are so good and they've come so close so many times and have not, you know, broken through and got that win. They won the championship last year on the WC. Um, they won at Spa. They had a pretty awful uh, test day, it must be said. But at this point, they know what that car can do, and they all know how good they are around the mall. So I think they're a good, they're a good shout. And then you've got you know other teams like TF Sport who finished second. At, uh, oh Spa. yes, and I they're think a great. lot of people are looking towards them as maybe the dark horse of that whole category to take the whole thing. Oh, hundred percent. I mean. Sally Yollock, let's just give you a sort of background on some of these drivers because they're not necessarily names. I mean, Sally Yollock, um, who I believe, from my memory serves me correct, was became the first ever Turkish driver to start the race last year. Yes. He's the am in the car. Um, and to put it blunt, five or six years ago when he was starting out in British GT, he really wasn't that good. I mean, he was a, he looked very, very much am should we say but now he has improved mightily and part of that is because he's received so um so much sort of called mentoring from uh ewan hankey who's in the car with him and for those who don't know ewan hankey um he's sort of to, for most people that sort of follow british racing sort of british gt that sort of stuff will, will sort of recognize the name but behind the scenes this guy's employed by mclaren automotive to test all their cars and go out with customers and stuff like that so he's a he's a name that you know he can really drive a car well and he showed that spa when he was up against Pedro Lamy and then you've got Charlie Eastwood who's a Porsche Carrera Cup champion and we know what Porsche Carrera Cup champions can do don't we oh um, goodness yes uh there's there's another one of them in the in one of the uh the McDreamy Dempsey Proton racing cars in the Teo Cairoli I believe he was either a mm. champion or vice champion but yeah they've got that there's some good names up and down this Giancarlo Fisichella's in this. He's won Formula One races. Yeah, I mean, it, let's just just give you a run through some of the the key names. Here. I mean, you've got Fisichella, who yes. you know, some people when you're looking down the list of former slash current F1 drivers in this race, you sort of you sort of you have to think Fisichella's in there, and he's like you say, he's won Formula One races, and he doesn't even roll off the tongue because there's so many Formula One drivers in the field, but he's in there. Yeah, um, York Bergmeister, the big giant, who's basically yeah. been a Porsche lifer at this point. Uh, Matt Griffin with Clearwater Racing, who is effectively the the the, the close the uh, the uh, the Irish-born Italian at this point. If there's a Ferrari, he'll he'll race it somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm 
writing a story as we speak about his career with of course because he's been with them for so so long now and he is he's one of those drivers who always comes up in the sort of water cooler press room debate where you think he's a guy who really really needs his shot in a pro car i mean he is so quick he is so quick on his day and he's been on a he's been on form the last sort of year or so as well um and then you look elsewhere and you've got Olivier Barreto, who's obviously a former Corvette factory driver. Um, he knows how to pedal his way around Le Mans. Um, and then you've you've got just a sort of slew of other really good drivers who may not necessarily be massive to the world stage. So you've got your own Bleakman, who many IMSA fans will know as being just rapid week in, week out. You've got oh, Ben yes. Barker. He's a Porsche a Porsche sort of disciple. Matt Campbell as well. A uh, very yeah. talented young Australian driver working under Porsche. And then the fastest guy at the test day, Julian Andlau, who I wasn't really that familiar with before this season, but he looks like this year's Matteo Caroli, and that is, you know, that's a that's a real compliment because Matteo Caroli last year was stunning. Oh goodness, can the can the old Aston Martin or the slightly less old Ferrari still hack it with the new to the category Porsche nine one nine eleven RSR, the loudest and newest kid on the block? Goodness, that car is loud. Mm. Alex, oh, oh, goodness, yes. LMP2 is LMP2 is up next. LMP2 car, um, damn near won the race last year. That actually almost happened. Um, and just so happens for the sequel, we've got a lot of chassis diversity. We've got a tire war in some regards, and we've got, wow, I'm looking at some of the names up and down this grid. I'm just glancing at some of the some of the big name pro drivers on this grid. Gato Vandergaard is one of them. I'm looking at uh I'm looking down at Felipe Nazar. I'm looking at Paul Daresta. I'm looking at uh Will Stevens, who was GTM champion yeah. last year. You're looking at Juan Pablo Montoya. Oh yes. Yeah, that was the first name that was gonna come to my mind. Juan Pablo Montoya in search of the triple crown. He's driving one of United Auto Sports two. Lige entries. Um, what is the expectation for Montoya going into his very first time at the 24 Hours of Le Mans? Well, I think, you know, he, he spent some time with the media after the test day, which was his first run in a P2 car, um, the Ligier specifically, and his first run at La Sarthe. And I think he doesn't have much expectation for this. And I think he really likes that. He sort of said that um, he's relishing the fact that there isn't any pressure for this one because although it's technically a triple crown run, and yes, last year a P2 car almost run the race, so wouldn't it be amazing if he won the race overall in a P2 car and, and tick that off his list? Um, but he's an Elysier. So one thing we've got to talk about when we talk about P2 here, we can talk about tyre wall, we can talk about the incredible array of driving uh, talent in there. But what we have to talk about is the disparity between the chassis because even after the off-season where we saw... Um, Delara and uh, Ligier upgrade their cars, be given sort of dispensation by the ACO and FIA to do so, to sort of catch up and bridge that gap between them and Orica. Um, it hasn't made on the surface that much difference. So for Montoya this year, he's with United Autosports, who are, you know, as class as you can get in a P2 field. Um, but is it fair to expect a a podium for him maybe more probably not at this stage um, although he is with two quick drivers in Hugo Sadlier and Willow and they know how to win races but you know 
on pace terms, they're probably not going to be there. Yeah, it's yeah, it's still looking like there's oh my goodness, there are a lot of quick orcas in this field. The 26 G Drive racing with Rusinov, Andrei Pizzatola, and John Eric Fern, who by the time this episode comes out, could be wrapping up his first Formula E title. And we're just scratching the surface. TDS Racing with Loic Duval, an overall winner at Le Mans 2013. We have Dragon Speed over the fastest in class. Pastor Maldonado has won a Formula One Grand Prix. People tend to forget that. We've got the two Jackie Chan DC Racing Oracles with the two Jackie Chan DC Racing Liges. Golly, there's a lot of good drivers and good cars in this LP2 field. Mm, there really is. I mean, we uh, LMP2. If you look back at LMP2, um, how it was five or six years ago, um, and you're pretty new to this, you'd be astonished to see how quickly it's grown. Um, I mean, the the WC when it first started, we were talking three or four cars, maybe um, a little amount. There wasn't much more than that. Um, and now we've got a massive field uh, full of loads of really, really good privateer teams. Uh, we don't necessarily have a standout car that you look at it and you think they're going to dominate everyone here because they're right. just too good. Like when Alpine turned up um, a year or two ago. Uh, yeah. And Alpine's an got, car. yeah, and Alpine's still got a pretty good driver of their own in a good driver lineup of their own, Nico Lapierre, Pierre Thierry, and Andre Negrau. That's still a very good car, but you wouldn't necessarily pick them as an overwhelming favorite. This this still looks like anybody's ballgame, especially among the Orica teams. Uh, for the Liges and the Laras, though, you're kind of feeling like it would have to take some sort of uh, miracle of combination of attrition or just something they found on the morning of the race or both for them to really be in the midst for the lead. Yeah, I mean... The one thing that, that could throw a real cat among the pigeons here, and this goes for all the classes as well as other two, is the fact that the forecast the last time I checked and the last few times I've checked has been absolutely abysmal for the entire week. I mean, we are. It looks as if we're going to get thunderstorms, rain showers, you name it, we're going to get it all week long. And if it rains, and it rains hard, one, we're going to see a lot of, you know, the playing field's going to be leveled um, in some respects. And two, the tyre situation in P2 could all of a sudden be thrown right up in the air because we haven't, although we saw a lot in testing between Dunlop and Mitchell, you never really know uh, just what those guys are capable of because you don't know what they're doing and whether they're using old or new sets on when they go out testing. So, you know, if that happens, we could see a real surprise winner. But if it stays dry, uh, you've got to say that the, the Oricas in the field, there's just too many of them. I mean, if there was only two or three and they're up against a massive field of leashes and Dallara's, maybe it'd be a different story, but there's just too many quality oracles out there for you to look past it. Oh, goodness, yes. Um, that could be that could be something very interesting to watch indeed. Oh, goodness. Now we've uh, now we've cut through a very competitive LMP2 field. We've cut through two very competitive GTE classes. And now let's get to the, the 900-pound elephant it's just sitting in the room, just eating all the snacks. We need to talk about LMP1. We need to talk about LMP1 in the age of the privateers versus the lone hybrid manufacturer team. We need to talk about it in the area of equivalence of technology, which has always been on the books, but is now more important than ever. Because if you read certain stories, you'll feel like not only is it expected that the Toyotas will win, but it must happen. It is demanded. Um, so let's start off with the privateers of which there are eight looking like, yes, all eight of them will be racing. Um, Steven, 
what chance are you giving any one of the LMP1 privateers, the Rebellions, the Manor Genetas, the S&P Racing Cars, the Dragon Speed, or the Baikalas, have any shot of winning this race? <sighs> it's, it's a question that I think has been debated uh, when I've been in the room or I've been involved in probably about 10 times a day for the last four months of my life. I mean, it's just none of us can wrap our heads around it. And I think that's partly because there's so many unanswered questions, even now, even though we're on the precipice of race week, there's so much we don't know. I mean, what it looks like with EOT, as you mentioned, with equivalence technology, it looks as if Toyota have not just an advantage, but a significant one, and one that could make this a pretty dull affair I sort of almost cringe when I say it because I don't want to. I don't want it to play out like that. But um, Toyota have entered 13 cars in the hybrid era um, since they started racing WC, and only two of them have had a clean run at the Mans. And that should tell you as much as anything that anything can happen when you've got cars as sophisticated as hybrid cars going round and round and round for 24 hours. It, at this point, because there's no evidence. It would would it surprise anybody if, if Toyota had a really tough race again? Um, I don't know. No, it really wouldn't. King, think back to last year when um, all of a sudden Toyota looked like they were going to win the race handily, and then you go to sleep, maybe check out for a couple hours, and then now nope, now they're all gone. What happened there? Oh God, yeah. <laughs> it's oh, like. There, there is part of me where it, it, I, I want to have that hope that that it doesn't become well. This is Le Mans, so yeah, reliability is probably the number one, if not one and a, like one point five on the list of most important things to have. But part of me doesn't want the race to be solely decided on whether a car finishes or not. Right. And of course, even in the privateer ranks, there are still some question marks that even if they are able to fight, can they make the distance? Um, just from what I have seen, there were some of the privateer teams had good days. Rebellion Racing um, effectively had both their cars. Um, well, one of them got excluded but the other one did take its place on the podium. So Rebellion Racing of all the privateers, they seem like they would be in the best shape. Would they not be? Uh, yeah. I mean, at this point, you've got to say that that, um, that they really look the strongest uh, of the privateers, which is remarkable, really, when you consider that that's the youngest car on the field. I mean, that car had a shakedown and a, and a short run before it turned up at the prologue, and the other car was being built up in the garage. I mean, they, they have been on edge of just making it. And that car out of the box, it must be said, has been pretty bulletproof so far. And I think what we've got to think here is that it's not a coincidence because that is, and you'll see it just by looking at it, that is a car that's based off the Oracle 07, which is another bulletproof car. So what you've effectively got there is Rebellion Racing turning up in LMP1 with a bit more of an open rule book with, um, in quotation marks, an Oracle 07 tribute car. I mean, it's like the 919 tribute, but for the Oracle 07, that, it's just a monstrous version of the LMP2 car, which is as we saw last year, almost capable of winning the race anyway. <laughs> right. And when I look, especially at that number one lineup of Andre Lauder, Neil Yanni, Bruno Senna, I think, man, that could have been a Porsche 
or an Audi factory lineup once upon a time in the not so distant past, far away distant past of uh, 2016. But I think, yeah, it's hard for me to count out that driver lineup or the or the other car in that field. I mean, my goodness, with with Thomas Laurent and Gustavo Menezes all in the same car. I mean, my goodness, that's that's going to be those are two quick rides. Yeah, like I, I have a lot of hope for this team. And RJ, you, you know what what rebellions are built on. Go ahead, go ahead and tell us, King. Uh, hope. And I, I like it, it really feels like we could get the. I would say perfect storm that rebellion could maybe get the overall victory. Goodness. One team that has, um, they had a very good opening week at spa, but has not historically had uh, good weeks at Le Mans to, uh, to put it lightly is uh, the Austrian based by calls racing team. It's the second year effectively with this Nismo engine in the uh, CLM P one Oh one. Um, is this going to be the year where they at least get to finish the race and not end it in just a, a mess of mechanical woes that have taken them out by about fourth hour of the race? Um, I mean, you, you've got to say at this point, you'd like to see it on the basis that there are so many people in the scenes and people like Ollie Webb, who's, who's been driving with them for so long, that you just kind of want them to have a good run for once because... They've benefited greatly from having the opportunity to be able to, you know, be an LP1 privateer and keep developing that car. That car has looked basically completely different on the aero front at almost every WC race I can remember. It's like just turn up in a WC race, um, go down to the pits and have a look and see what the aero looks like this week. It's crazy how much work they've done to it. And the and the Nissan engine, which is a fantastic engine, has been upgraded over the off season as well. So you've got to think they've got a the best chance um, that they've ever had. And the one thing they have got that most of the other teams and people on the um, privateer haven't um, is experience with that car and lots of running with it. I mean, reliability aside, um, they, they're the most prepared effectively just by being there last year. Um, and they had a good run at the test day. They went quicker than they did in qualifying last year in test in test day trip. And that's not something you see often because people usually leave their pace to race week. So who knows what, what we're going to see from It'd be nice to see him have a good run and sort of keep in the fight and keep that extra, you know, another car out there. But their form isn't great, so it remains to be seen. Right. Um, one team that I think Stephen had us a little bit worried in our discussions and, you know, um, is the team uh, officially known as CFC TRSM Racing, but to most of us, especially as Formula One fans, we know and love them as Manor. The two Janetta G60 LTP1s with the Mechachrome engines. Um, they had a good launch. They had a good launch when the car was revealed. And then Spa came around, did not have the money to run. Um, off the track, um, off the track stuff has kept kept them parked at Spa. Uh, it sounded like they turned up at Lama, finally got some running, and were obviously it looked like they had the time that they lost on the track kind of showed a bit. Um, Steven, what are the expectations for for what is effectively Manor Racing in these two genetic cars? Um, I think six months ago, their expectations are very different to how it is now. I mean, for them at the moment, uh, if they could get a car and or both of them to the finish, uh, that for them at this point, that would be a massive victory because... They just haven't had enough running. It's as simple as that. I mean, that is a car 
um, that yeah, it's done some testing and it's it's, it's tested more than the Rebellion R13s. And it looks but, beautiful too. Like oh, if oh, if oh, looks oh, came down to it, it it it's just a lovely card, but it's just not going very quick. We know through through our history that if you don't test um, and you effectively have Le Mans as your debut. It's a very, very tall order. It's not the same as going to Rolex Twenty Four with a brand new car because it's not half as tasking. Or it's not. It's not as labour intensive on a car to do uh, Rolex as it is with with Le Mans. So for them, I think it's a slow and steady run and see what they can do. They're effectively doing what Nissan did in twenty fifteen, which is they're they're testing publicly with this thing. They've got fantastic drivers. Um, it's a really good set of maybe not the sort of biggest names in prototype racing, but a really good set of hands who are not going to do anything stupid. They've got great guys behind the scenes. Um, they've got a lot of support from Janetta, are really, really desperate for them to do well here um, since their financial difficulties. So, I mean, if they came out and surprised everyone, everyone trackside and everybody watching is going to be you know, delighted because it's a team that I think just about everybody wants to do well. But at this point, um, you know, for them, it's just going to be a hope and a prayer. Right. Um, another manufacturer that fields three cars for two different teams that, but another manufacturer that did not have such a great time at Spa was BR Engineering uh, because one of their cars wrecked in qualifying and resulted in Pedro Fittipaldi missing several months with leg injuries. Um, another one of them flipped and blew over during the race. Those three cars and two S&P racing cars, the first with noted cool guy Mikhail Lotion, Super GT superstar Jensen Button, and Formula One alumnus Vitaly Petrov. Um, the SP, the other SP racing car, Igor Rujev, Stefan Zarazan, who is basically a lifer at Lamont at this point, and Matevo Sezakian, Izakian. I can never figure out how it's pronounced. <laughs> Izakian. Izakian. Thank you very much, Stephen. Thank you very much. And the uh, the one Dragon Speed car, the American entered Dragon Speed car with. Henrik Henman, Ben Hanley, Ranger van der Zanda. Um, seems like BR Engineering fits the thing that made the SMP racing car blow over. Um, what are the expectations for these three cars in this race? Um, obviously, with two big name drivers, especially with the debut of Jensen Button, the other Formula One world champion that's racing for outright honors. Well, I think. Um, from what we know from from their testing exploits, and they did, uh, I believe, outside of Toyota, the most testing of the privateers. Um, I think they would expect to be there or thereabouts battling with Rebellion Racing if all, if all goes well. Um, the reliability of the car, we, we don't yet know, as we don't know of any of the cars, how they're going to fare over the 24 hours. Yeah. But you'd like to think that in low downforce trim, if they run the car well, and that's you know effectively what the, the low downforce package they use at Spa wasn't designed for Spa, it's designed for Le Mans, so it could be a, a completely different story in terms of where they are pace-wise. You'd like to think that, that they can be in the running for that final podium spot if everything goes right. Um, for Toyota and they finish one two. that final podium spot could well be the one that they can take because they have got good drivers and they're a very well-run team. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think although it looked pretty disastrous at Spa and we never like to see any cars flying into oh, the air or having so. big accidents, um, it's just horrifying. Um, I think the way that, you know, they turned up at the test day and they went round and round and round and I think that'll be a big relief to all of them that, that hopefully 
the the problems inherent in that car are fixed. And if and if that goes right and they have a good Le Mans, I mean that's that's great for everybody, isn't it? Absolutely. And uh, Dragon Speed as well. Again, didn't really get to run at Spa. Wrecked in qualifying. Henrik Edmund is a bronze driver in a category where bronze drivers are really allowed. But Van Henley's got some talent. Rager van der Zanda. Oh, my goodness. Rager was so good last year. And now he's with an even better team in IMSA this year. Um, I definitely hope they it's, – it's going to come down to Hanley or van der Zanda to kind of lift that team up. Um, expectations kind of on the floor for Dragon Speed, though? Um <sighs> Yeah, I, I guess they are, uh, and, and you almost hate to say it, um, because they work so hard. I mean, they are one of the hardest, if not the hardest, working teams. Team. Oh, they are a very good team. The problem with, with it is, is they haven't done enough testing. Um, they've obviously had to build an entirely new chassis after Spa, uh, a round in which they didn't get as much running, in, especially in the race where they'd hoped to. Um, so when they turned up at the test day, I mean, that car was just about built up enough to run. And when it did, they're getting all the new car nibbles, which they hope that they would have got out the window before they're having to go through that all again. So um, for them, and I know that for them, priority uh, will be safety, having a good, fun race, and not necessarily expecting to be out there with the rebellions. They'll just they'll want to get through it, have a good time, um, if they can, and get that car to the finish. I mean, that's that's got to be what their thoughts are now. Right. And now, King, I believe that leads us with just two other cars. And that leaves us with just two Toyota TSO50 hybrids. Uh, Mike Conway, Kamui Kobayashi, Jose Maria Pachita Lopez in car seven, Sebastian Buemi, Kazuki Nakajima, and some dude from the Catalan region, um, some very quick guy, has a beard and his own fashion line, um, drives single-seaters for a living, I suppose, uh, Fernando Alonso, yeah, in car eight. Never out of him. Yeah. In a race where it feels like, you know, it's it must happen. It's been ordained. The powers that be demanded. It will happen. It must happen. The Toyota went finally, after all the years, with the with the gearbots breaking in 94, with a blown tire in 99, with the last, with the penultimate lap breakdown in 2016. This is finally going to be Toyota's year. Will it play out that way? Oh, oh my god! Oh, it, it it feels like they're cursed. It really does. This has to be the year. This has to be the year. Now, are we talking like Cubs pre twenty sixteen? Are we talking Chris Paul in the playoffs pre this year? Uh, what kind of levels of of American sports curse are we talking here? I I think. I think we have to go for the obvious one, the the Andretti curse, where we have to go like straight up. Toyota might as well be Marco Andretti, mm. where where they're really fast, but something unfortunate happens. Goodness, um, yeah, um, I mean, obviously, in terms of pure pace, in terms of preparation, in terms of the driver lineup, I mean, they've got they've got all the pieces that you need. The seven car, as the seven and the eight car is pretty evenly matched. Um, perhaps still question marks over what Alonso will bring to a team with Lemmy and Nakajima, who are already two very established endurance racing veterans by this point. 
And Jose Maria Lopez didn't necessarily have the best of outings at Lamont last time out. What can he bring this second time at the table alongside Conway Kobayashi, who are just as reliable as you can get as drivers? Um, oh, I think, well, what's got to be said is that, well, um, Lopez didn't have a, a good start to the year last year uh, with his big offer, Silverstone. Um, and then, yeah, like you say, it wasn't the best Le Mans performance we've ever seen, but he did really grow into that role. By the end of the year, I, I thought he, he really was uh, impressive. Um, yeah. It's not easy to drive these cars. And, and for those those of you who are listening who necessarily aren't as versed in just how hard these cars are to drive, um, Alex Verts um, sort of tested the current version of the car. And he's a man who's been driving Toyota LMP1 cars uh, for a long time because he was yeah, there since day one of beginning. this current iteration yeah um and he you know was out out of it for what, a year or two and he come he comes back in he tests the new car and and he's mind blown and he comes and he talks to to my editor uh graham goodwin about it and it's an amazing piece that he wrote after it because it's just the the way to describe it is it's just like it's like you know piling a fighter jet there's so much you have to do all the time you ha you're constantly making adjustments on the steering wheel you're constantly having to drive a different mentality because you've got a lifting coast to save fuel you've got to worry about hybrid use you've got to worry about fuel allowance you've got to worry about the speed differentials it's you know an f1 car is obviously extremely difficult to drive an indy car is extremely difficult to drive but lmp1 hybrids it's it's a little bit like when you see guys go into dtm who are really good in touring cars just because they're good in touring cars and DTM is technically a touring car doesn't mean they're going to be great immediately because there is a massive learning curve, especially when you're up against guys who do it day in, day out. So it's no surprise that it's going to take some time. Um, and it's the same, it's got to be said with Alonso, but uh, he's adapted pretty quickly, it must be said. Yeah, well, I believe uh, I believe uh, when John Heindel predicted him to win a pole position and break a, potentially have a run at Kamui Kobayashi's lap record. Uh, that was set just last year. Do we think that record is going to fall this time out? Um, it's got to be said it's possible. If the conditions are right and it's not an soon uh, like we're expecting it to be, then, oh. I mean, it's it. this is the same car as last year with aerodynamic upgrades, very slight aerodynamic upgrades. Um, most of you wouldn't even be able to tell the difference between the two cars just by looking at them. It's got a new cooling system, but that's about it. There's not that much else to say about it. So it's it's the same car that did the same time last year. And if you get a clear lap, as Kobe actually did last year, which is a remarkably clear lap, and the temperature's right, uh, it could happen. I mean, would you put it past a guy of Alonso's stature, Alonso's stature to uh, to actually go ahead and do that? I, I wouldn't. Right. Oh goodness, yes. It's um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, if Toyota wins this race, um, how will this win be viewed? Do we, we feel like finally the curse is lifted and Toyota's finally won it, or we feel more like, yeah, well, Toyota should have won this by by a much larger margin and good for them. But yeah, we kind of knew this was coming. Uh, I, I have a feeling it's going to be viewed in, I'd probably compare it to like when the dream team, the United States national men's basketball team won the, uh, the 92 gold medal at the Olympic games of Barcelona, where, where just the fact that they won will be seen as an achievement. It doesn't matter how overpowered they were or 
uh, how large the margin of victory was or wasn't. Just the fact that they have accomplished this feat, uh, feat finally will be seen as an achievement in itself. In the words of the great Charles Barkley, I don't know much about Angola, but Angola's in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Fresh hot sports take. I saw the dream team of 2012 play live at the Olympics because it was obviously on my doorstep. And I did just about everything possible to get tickets. And I'm of the opinion that they're just as good, if not better. So there there you go. That's my my hat in the ring right there. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Yes. Um, Right. So... Now we get to the point where we try and predict this wonderful kettle of fish, which you can watch on the WC app or Eurosport or the or the Velocity Network, or you can listen to on Radio Lama online or, or over at Sam or what have you. Um, four classes. Let's try and pick the winners if we haven't already. Um, GTM, I kind of feel like this is going to be the year of... I kind of feel like it's the 90 TF sports car Aston's year to win it. Uh, I feel like in GTE Pro, uh, mm, goodness, this one's tough. It's tough because I, I want to go with Ford because they just have four incredibly stacked driver lineups. It, I, I'm just going to go with any one of the four Fords out of, the, out of <laughs> GT Pro. Um, whichever one wins, I, I guess that's fine. LMP2, I, I feel like, goodness, G-Drive Racing, at least on paper, with the lineup that they have of Rusinov, the amateur driver who's not really an amateur, Pizzatola, who's the semi-pro driver who's a lot better than gets credit for, and, of course, John Eric Byrne. I think that team on paper, if they have a clear running, uh, it could be a very good day for them. And uh, in LMP1, I'm kind of keen to lean towards... Toyota eight. Oh, you think, and I'm not oh, just you think Alonzo's gonna Alonzo and company but are gonna get the, the job done. But see, the thing is, I don't feel like I feel like it's gonna be a case like it was in 2015, where Alonzo is going to have a very good time in the car, but ultimately that race is gonna come down to the work of Lemmy and Nakajima in yeah. that car alongside him. And I assume twenty fifteen oh. in reference to Porsche's victory with uh one uh, oh my god, Nico Hulkenberg behind the wheel. Yeah. I almost forget that that happened. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, King, what about what about yourself? Who are you picking for this? Ooh, mm, I, yeah, from bottom up, I'd probably go with the uh, 98 Aston Martin with Delalana, Lamy, and Lauda in, in GTE Pro. I... I'm sticking with my gut feeling of going with the the ninety, going with the sixty three Corvette, uh, LMP two. I probably, I probably. This is gonna seem like a bit of an off pick, but I I, I think if one of the Jackie Chan DC Racing Orc gets it done, it's gonna be the it's gonna it's gonna be the thirty eight with Hoping Tung Stefan Rakelmi. Uh, and and Gabrielle Aubry. Yeah, I'm, I'm very interested though in uh, Team Malaysia, the 37 car Jasmine Jafar enabled Jeffrey and Wei Tan. Ooh, goodness! <laughs> Our friend Sarah Sahaden, who is who is basically the leading lady of Malaysian motorsport. Oh my goodness! I, I can't even imagine to think what her reaction would be if they won that class. <laughs> it would be over the top. Would be an understatement. Right. 
Um, that that then puts the ball back in Saban's court. Saban, you've analyzed this. No, race. no, no. I just still... no, didn't yeah. think yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, I am jumping the gun a bit. That's that's my bad. Uh, insert the chance. <laughs> uh, LMP one. Uh, I. Uh, I'm, I have to go with the number one rebellion. I think the number one rebellion is going to win. Lotter, Yanni, and Senna are going to win. Good oh, lot. Oh, good oh. lot. Mm. Right. Now now we can pass the ball to Steven. We've got the last picks. Who you got to win this thing? Oh, God, this is hard. Um, right, okay. So, um, it's a toss-up for me between the 98 Aston and the 77 Dempsey Proton. If I'm if I, if I have to pick, I'm going to have to say 98 Aston. Um, I think I just think that, you know, law of averages says they've got to win it at one point. Uh, <laughs> GT Pro, uh, that's even tougher, isn't it? My goodness. Um, I'm going to go with the 92 Porsche, Christensen, Estrian, Vantor, because I think Estrian, Vantor in the same car is just a pretty dangerous prospect. It's Porsche's 70th anniversary. They're going to want to win it. That car is capable of winning it. I think they're going for it. Um, LMP2, I'm going to go with Dragon Speed's 31 Orica. Um, I think the Michelin tyre has taken a big step up uh, this year on the Dunlops. It's not necessarily the best tyre, but it's certainly capable of winning and in the right conditions, who knows? Um, Pass Maldonado, Ricardo Gonzalez, and, and Burton was good at the test. I mean, that's that's a good lineup. That's good enough for me. They're a good team. They're well run. I'm going for them. LMP1, um, it's hard not to pick a Toyota, isn't it, really? I mean, I, every year when we're asked at the start of the race to do a sweepstake on the big daily sports car desk in the press room, I've picked Toyota every year for about the last five years and I've been wrong every time. <laughs> it's, so much, it's, <laughs> it's really hard to not pick them again. Um, I'm going to pick eight Toyota. Uh, I think it's unfortunately the stars are a bit aligned here, aren't they? Um, and if, and if they're going to get a car to the finish and win, they, they're going to want that headline of Fernando Alonso. And I'm not being cynical, but I just think that that's going to be the car that, that, that will win. Which does pose the interesting question. What would the reaction be if, if the eight car broke down, but the seven car picked up the pieces and wanted, because it's not the Alonso car. Like I, I, my, I, my heart of hearts wants to believe the reaction would be exactly the same, but I know it wouldn't be. Because it's just like, well, we've got Fernando Alonso, but he didn't win, so what's the point? Yeah, I would, a, hate, I would hate a... that for though for Co for for Kobayashi especially, uh, and for Conway and for Pacino, who did such a good job at the end of last season. Um, so two of us went with the eight Toyota, one of us. King, yeah, with the number one rebellion. <laughs> Whew. goodness, this, uh, this, there is a lot to digest in this race. And, um, Stephen, before we let you go and let you introduce, uh, plug away with whatever you need plugging away, um, what's like the best way for like any first time or casual listener to, to just enjoy this race if this is their first time watching or if they haven't watched in a while? Is this for people trackside or people watching at home? Um, either or, for, for those trackside or for those at home or even those just listening out and about. Um, if you're trackside, let's start with that. If you're trackside um, and you've never been before, um, make sure you do everything in your...
power to go and see as much of that circuit as possible. It's it's not all accessible. A lot of it isn't accessible. But um, it's easy to think when you go there for the first time that it's a really daunting experience to turn up um, and just see the pit straight and, and, you know, not venture further than that. But if you walk all the way to Turk Rouge, you walk all the way back past pit straight in the Porsche coach, you can do it in one sweep and you can go on the inside for the for Turk Rouge as well. There's some spectacular views there and, and, and you will see some incredible um, sites with, with some of these cars flying by. And if you get the chance to go down to, to Eau Rouge and, oh, sorry, Eau Rouge, good God, <laughs> um, Indianapolis and uh, Arnage and uh, Mulsanne Corner. I mean, if you take the trip out, my recommendation has always been go for night practice. It's a bit quieter. The roads aren't as congested to get there. Drive out to, to those corners and you see the cars in complete darkness. It is astonishing. I mean, they're going so quickly on the run down to Indianapolis that you almost can't tell which cars are which. Um, so yeah, that that be my just make sure if you're going for the first time that you, that you see as much of the track as possible because it is stunning. Um, and if you're at home, I mean that we've got to the point now, haven't we? Where there's so many options um, around the world to watch this thing in its entirety. And, and it wasn't that long ago, lest we forget that that they didn't have cameras overnight, um, and that there weren't many places to watch the entire thing um, on a broadcast. So if you've got a way to stream it, you've got a way to use it on the TV. Just sit back, maybe have a second screen open with a couple of bits of reading material that you can refer to because it is daunting if you're watching motor-class racing for the first time to know what's going on. But just sit back and enjoy the ride. And if you've got something like Radio Le Mans and for anybody who's walking around and just casually listening in, just enjoy the entertainment because there are some incredible broadcasters who do, do the job and stay up all night and... Um, putting some real shifts to try and make sure that everyone's aware of what's going on and they will make it as interesting as possible. And, and if you sit back, relax and watch it and try and watch as much of it as possible, um, you will enjoy it. Um, sitting back with a beer and watching Le Mans is, is, is an incredible experience. I just wish I didn't have to sit with a laptop and type out the entire race <laughs> at this point. <laughs> oh goodness. Steven, um, Thank you so much. Um, tell us all again about the places where people can find you and what you do. Uh, yeah, so if you if you want to find me find me on social media, my Twitter handle's at uh, Stephen K twenty two. On Instagram, because Stephen K twenty two was taken, I had to go with Stephen K O two four. And uh, if you want to catch some of some of my. Uh, stuff that I write. I write for racer.com. I do all the WC content um, and dailysportscar.com. Uh, that's that's my sort of bread and butter day to day is dailysportscar.com covering all sorts of sports car racing, not just not just WC. Right. Stephen, Stephen Kilby, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Um, we would absolutely love to have you back anytime. Oh, that, uh, it, Pleasure's all mine. It's been a real privilege. So, uh, yeah, anytime. I'm, I'm always around. Again, massive thanks to Stephen for coming on and joining us for the show on that one. Another uh, esteemed 
honoured actual journalists to join us on the show. Um, that's always fun indeed. Again, massive thanks to RJ for being able to bring him onto the show as well. Much appreciate, much, much appreciated. He's actually he's earned like Adam Johnson levels of political clout. Now we're very proud of you, RJ. Um, he's cashed in his naughty points point to get in an extra guest. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness, yes. Um, Dre, do you have uh, do you have any spicy predictions, expectations, feelings going into this race? Is the uh, is the dream team analogy apt? Where you know you you kind of feel like it's still a big achievement, no matter how stacked the deck is in favor of. I you. mean. <sighs> Okay, we all know that on paper there's only really Toyota as a top contender to win this race, but being able to take any prototype car of its kind to get to the checkered flag of Le Mans is an achievement by any measure. Um, so I'm not going to poo on Toyota for winning this race if they if they go on to dominate and win, which is of course they're, they're odds on to yeah, do that. Because, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the trouble is they now they have to face not only the field but also their own recent. Indeed, history. we 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 were there, King. When it was me and you there after the Azerbaijan Grand Prix doubleheader, we sat there as I remember screaming at the top of my lungs <laughs> in my car, my drive home. Yeah, I was like, listening. I even remember race. David Croft already congratulating Anthony, Anthony Davison on his, on his team winning the race with about <laughs> ten minutes to go. Looking like looking like they were gonna win it for Toyota, and then, well, you know the rest, um, right? But um, I, I mean, I will. I, I know people are gonna be cynical about Toyota's success given the state of play in the WEC, and that's understandable to a degree. Um, but let's not forget, Le Mans is really fucking difficult, okay? And you know, getting any any prototype from there to the flag over twenty four hours is going to be a mission in itself. This is probably the hardest motorsport race in the world, or certainly in the conversation for it. And I wish everyone that's taking part the greatest of success and the best of luck. Hopefully, everybody stays safe, and uh, we all know this race can can have some hellacious accidents. So. I can only hope everybody comes home in one piece, and that's the most important thing for me. And yeah, we all know the state of LMP1 isn't wonderful at the moment, but let's go racing. Let's see what happens. Because hey, if they don't have, a, if, if anything, if, if it's anything like last year's race, then who, then who knows what's going to happen? Basically. <laughs> so basically, so basically, Dre, you are also joining in with King and picking the number one rebellion of Lauder. Let's go. <laughs> let's fucking <laughs> let's go. On the right. split down the middle, me and Steve pick the number eight Toyota. King and Dre pick the number one. Because why not? <laughs> why not? Right? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know much about Manor Janetta. I just know they're in trouble. Yeah. And on that note, I think it's best we get out of Dodge on this one. But uh, again, massive thanks um, to, to Stephen and again to RJ for having him on the show. Um, invaluable to have someone of his quality on the show. Um, and RJ, where, where, where can you find him one more time? Um, he is um, on Twitter at Stephen. That's S T E P H E A E N K twenty two on Twitter. Um, he writes for Daily Sports Car and also for Racer Magazine as their lead WEC writer. 
Indeed. Check him out. Please read his work. Give him a Motorsport 101 bump on our behalf, please. That would be wonderful. Places you can find us one more time, youtube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. I've actually now said this like four times in the last hour and a half, and it's really annoying. <laughs> Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Or on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. You can follow our personal handles at, as well at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, and at RJ O'Connell. Um, you can follow us on Patreon as well. If you really like us, you can back us over there. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Early access is $5 to both this show and to Motorsport 101's other show, Bike Live, which again is back later this weekend as well. Review of all the stuff coming out of Bruno for World Superbikes and a preview for MotoGP at Catalunya this weekend. We're back at Catalunya, newly repaved circuit, and the return of the old Turn 12 as well. So it's going to be all sorts of, of chaos on a brand new layout. So that should be fun indeed. And BSB makes its return at Citizen as well. Get well soon, Shaky. Obviously, we won't be there for that one after his hellacious testing crash. And best of luck to Andrew Irvin, who is filling in for him this weekend for the BYZ Ducati team. All of that. Big previews, all and the news coming out of Bruno on Bike Live this weekend. And don't forget, ten bucks gets you access to this Discord server where you can listen to shows live as they happen and banter with the rest of us in the Discord server. I am not even show my face every once in a while. It's 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 well worth the money. Trust me. Yeah, we 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 you know criticized Dre's taste in colors. Piss off, King. Dre's taste in colors is fine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the shoe collection. If I like, if I like bright yellow, I'm going to have bright yellow. Are we clear? But you <laughs> cannot, you cannot claim that bright yellow is gold. God damn it! I've been Andre Harrison. They've been Ryan King. Before he gets murdered after the show goes off the air, he's been RJ O'Connell. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Later, y'all. Bye. You are the world champion! You know it's not a good sign when people are insistent on messaging me actual HTML color codes for gold. (laughs) I hate you people. What did I do to deserve this? Everything.